KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. If you know, you know, paying for college is a huge burden. Tuition across the board has almost doubled over the last 20 years, and 85% of college students receive some sort of financial aid. But now, thanks to changes introduced to the application process for next academic year, the whole system's pretty much a mess right now, leaving families and enrollment specialists at a loss at what to do with important deadlines fast approaching. For me, it is a system failure that was brought on because maybe they didn't have the fiscal resources to build and implement the new system in a way that they could have been nimble and and quicker. Dr. Don Medley is the Senior Vice President of Enrollment Management at Drexel University in Philadelphia. If the feds can't figure this out, the ripple effects of an already disastrous situation could get even worse, affecting everything from NCAA recruiting efforts to whether or not students even decide to pursue going to college. Some schools just might end up going rogue and doing their own thing. It's kind of like a fourth and one where we have to take a gamble and make sure we're doing what's in the best interest of the students and their families. But in order for students to get that money from the feds, they still have to complete that paperwork. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers, get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. Where did FAFSA go so wrong, and is there any reason why we should expect the people in charge to now get it right? So FAFSA, for people who aren't familiar, what is it? FAFSA is the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, F-A-F-S-A. And it is the first piece of paper or or system where students enter into the federal financial aid process. How old is this? How long has FAFSA been around? I would say it's probably been around since the 70s, um, probably built on what was the, the initial usage when the GI Bill happened. And then as we move forward, when federal Pell Grants, and then the federal student loan programs were created. This was a way for it to be a standardized process across all institutions to be able to have students access federal monies in order to go to college. And as someone who has filled this out on multiple occasions, this is very thorough. Like This is really a look at the family's financial picture like top to bottom. So it is. And and so what it does, and they try to equalize all of the information, right? And so where sometimes families struggle with the information that FAFSA gleans and then the reports that come from it is we all have choices about how we spend our money. The FAFSA takes that away and really looks at the money that you have coming in, the types of money you have coming in, you know, and then also how you, what a family and certain family sizes are expected to be able to have to live on. And so they try and equalize that across various, you know, rural and urban environments, Um, the ages of parents, the incomes that students are earning themselves. And they put all of that together in a formula. And they used to come up with an expected family contribution. Now, with the new FAFSA, they're coming up with a student aid index. And this is a a form that comes out every academic year, correct? Like there's, it kind of, I don't know if resets the word, but every academic year, you, if you 
have a child in college, you go through this again? Exactly. So what I always tell families is every year your income may change. And so therefore, every year, the FAFSA may change. And so typically what happens is that FAFSA becomes available October 1, and you can fill it out. And that would be for aid then that you could utilize or tap into the following August. And so this gives folks the opportunity to fill that form out. Then that information is shared with individual schools and colleges, We know what a family is expected to to contribute to the cost of of the student's education. We can add additional scholarships or need-based aid. And the student then has a pretty clear picture of what their financial aid may look like, you know, come early spring, March, April, before they ever have to deposit and make a decision about where they're going to enroll for the following fall. And that's the aim and the goal. We want families and and students to have a full picture and know what it's going to cost, what their aid or loan eligibility is, what the institution can provide. And then families can sit down and have some of those conversations in April of a student's senior year and see what makes the most sense for them financially and educationally before they have to actually deposit. You mentioned October 1st, and the reason we're having this conversation, and you also mentioned new FAFSA, it seems to me that the the train has gone off the tracks with regards to FAFSA and this new form. Kind of talk to me about what what the problem is and what happened here, because this was seemed like for decades, this was a pretty standard concept with a standard calendar. Everybody kind of understood what the state of play was, what's the change here, and why was the change made? So let me let me give you a bit of history. So about 10 years ago, we went through a little bit of a FAFSA change where families and students could actually use taxes from two years previous, and that allowed us to really move to that October 1 deadline because we weren't waiting on people to do tax forms or anything like that. And so that was the the big upheaval at the time was the prior, prior year. Then from there, great idea, they created um, a data retrieval tool. And that data retrieval tool would allow a family to link their federal income tax forms to the FAFSA. Great solution. Because a lot of times when families are re-entering information, when any of us do things, we may actually have errors that happen from that. So this data retrieval tool really was a a great thing because we were getting highly accurate information that had been verified, vetted, all of that. The problem was there was a hack. And so it wasn't the DOE that was hacked. It wasn't the federal financial aid system or the IRS. It was the bridge between the two. So someone got on the bridge between the two and stole people's information. And so the data retrieval tool had to be shut down. And so that went away. As part of this new act three years ago, they reinstituted and planned for a data retrieval tool from the IRS again with a lot of fail safes in there to protect people's information. And it was called the FAFSA simplification. And it was actually codified into statute by lawmakers in DC with, the, with a wonderful intent to support 
first-generation low-income families to simplify this process. And it's actually called the FAFSA simplification. And what has happened is they failed to hit the programming goals that they had to build the system. They failed to hit the timelines for the launch. They failed to hit the timelines for the release of that information. So a couple of examples that I'll share with you. One is if you are listing multi-ethnicities on the form currently, you have to put um, Caucasian and then maybe you're also putting Hispanic. If you put a comma between those, it causes the submission to fail. The problem with that is we don't know from the school or college or the student why it was caught, why it failed. We just know it failed. The other thing that has happened is they have now set up a system where a student goes in, they complete their portion, and then they email it to both of their parents. Now, if they mail it to both of their parents and both the parents are taxpayers, earning income, living in the same household, and who are willing to complete this form, there's usually not a problem. There's a few minor glitches they're still working out, but that's not a problem. Imagine the situation, however, if a family, if there was a, a, a contested divorce or there's an absentee parent or one of the parents isn't a U.S. citizen. So those fail-safe you know, ways that we've had to, to work around those situations in the past and support a student, those don't exist anymore because the email has gone to that parent and they've chosen either not to respond or they're unable to respond and complete their section. So therefore, then students can't complete the FAFSA. So that's the first side of the issue, right? So we have a lot of user problems and system integrations where families and students are very frustrated with the process. The back end of this and what you're hearing about now is this was set to be delivered so that when I say delivered, the information flows from the Department of Education to the schools or colleges. We were expecting to see that information come December 1. Now, remember, we used to get it November 1, so we're a month delayed at that point in time. Schools and colleges, we adjust, we work around that. Then we were supposed to get it late December, maybe the 1st of January. Most recently, we were promised that we would have it mid-February, February 1st to mid-February. We still don't have that information. And so what that means, that student aid index that I mentioned earlier, that's the amount um, kind of kind of where a student falls. And then we can use that information to know whether or not they're going to qualify for a Pell Grant, a subsidized loan, those types of things. And so at my institution at Drexel, we can build their financial aid package for them. But if I don't get that information from the federal government, I may or may not know what that student is going to qualify for. And so that is what has been delayed over time. And so schools and institutions across the U.S., we don't have that information. And so first time students who have never been through this process before, they're kind of out there in limbo, not knowing what their financial aid package is going to look like from an institution. Typically in the U.S., we ask students to make a decision and make their deposit by May 1. So as you can tell, we're continuing to condense that decision-making timeline for students. And that, that 
that squishing or pressure that we're creating is, is causing a lot of angst that's really unnecessary for students and families. They already had a stressful decision to make. And now because of the lack of information and the lack of ability to move forward, they're under more. And so what will happen and what we're really scared about, Matt, is students may make a decision to not go to college in the fall. Or they may make a decision to go to a less expensive option or to go part-time. All of those things are detrimental for college-going students. Given all you just explained, like, how do you get past this? Like, where, how does, who do you put the pressure on to, hey, let's get it moving here? So we had well-intentioned lawmakers who put this process in to benefit low-income first-gen students. And they said, go do this. At the same time, however, there weren't resources directed to the Department of Education for them to do this work. It's a great idea, but we're not going to give you money, right? So we've seen that before with like, you know, no child left behind. There were mandates put in place, but then there was no funding to support the implementation of those things. So that happened. A lot of you know, the National Association for Financial Aid, um, we have been advocating, just take us back to, to six months ago. If you could take us back to the regular FAFSA system we've had in place, we would gladly move forward and we could avoid this crisis. The problem is that system was, was taken apart. And so it doesn't exist for us to fall back. So somewhere along the way, somebody made a decision, you know, and I don't know if, what the guidance was that they they made this decision, but if we have this crutch that we can step back to, we may not be so motivated to move forward. And so they took apart the old system. Well, that's led us to this situation, right? Because we don't have another solution. So now the DOE has come forward and they are investing resources and they're, you know, they're giving money to support institutions and you know, community-based organizations in supporting students through this. But giving money to the National Financial Aid Association to support schools and colleges may not be the solution we need at this point. If, If they called Don Medley and they said, what do you think we need to put our money to? I'd say we need some programmers and we need some system integration experts and we need some project managers. And we need them embedded in the DOE doing this process to get us where we need to go. Because right now we're just band-aiding problems on the back end where schools are and community-based organizations were already under-resourced supporting these students, but they they can't do anything if they can't get in the system or they can't see the information from the system. So for me, it is it is a system failure that was brought on because maybe they didn't have the fiscal resources to build and implement the new system in a way that they could have been, you know, nimble and and quicker. So basically you bought a new car. It turns out to be a lemon. You come back to the dealer and say, you know what, this doesn't work. Just give me my old car that I traded in back. And they say, sorry, we already destroyed that car and put it in the junkyard. We'll get you a new one eventually. Well, and I take that a step further. I didn't buy the new car. I ordered the new car, you know, and it's it's not here yet. And I can't get back and forth to work. So that's when I asked for my old car and it's already gone. 
We need to take a break on KYW News Radio in depth. We will continue our conversation with Dr. Dawn Medley in just a moment. But first, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda. KBB.com's best value brand of 2023. Contact your local Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. And now on KYW News Radio in depth, let's continue our conversation with Dr. Dawn Medley, Senior Vice President for Enrollment Management at Drexel University. We are recording this on February 12th and you said kind of the last thing you guys were told was mid-February, the first two, right about now. What does your gut tell you? What does what do the tea leaves you're reading? Do you get anything that leads you to believe that there is a genuine answer on the way in the near future? So I'll give you kind of the, the collective gut from people who sit in my chair at a lot of different institutions. We're all coming up with alternative plans because we cannot wait and students and parents and families cannot wait. And so we've been creative in coming up with other solutions because I'm not sure that what gets delivered on February 15th is, is going to, is number one, is it anything going to get delivered? And number two, is it going to be something that's usable? Because that's the other part of this process that's really frustrating for a, a lot of, of folks is once that information comes to my institution, then what happens is we use particular software to package students and build that aid. So my software vendor has to be able to receive that information. They may or may not have gotten the data dictionary to know how all that maps yet. It was incomplete the last time I checked. So they are over here, you know, just like we, we gave the car metaphor, they're building tires for a car that they don't necessarily have the specifications for yet. So as soon as that car arrives, they're going to have to hurry and build tires to fit it. And once they get those tires built, then they'll send it to me. Then I can receive the information from the feds. Then I plug in all of my information that I need to do specific for my institution's scholarships and then I send out awards. So even if it all comes mid-February, I'm not sure many schools are going to be ready to package and send out those award notices by the 1st of March. So my institution, we've decided that, that we're going to go without the FAFSA at this point in time. So we use a different, there, there are two other tools that are really available to schools and colleges. One is the College Board Scholarship uh, Selection Service, the CSS profile. My, my institution, Drexel, uses that. The other tool that schools have avail available to them is every school is required to have a net price calculator where students can plug in certain bits of information and then we can estimate for them. But either one of those is going to give us an estimate of what we think a student's financial aid is going to look like. So my institution, we're just going to guarantee if we say this is your estimate and the federal government comes back in and says it's $500 less than what we estimated, 
then we're going to go ahead and honor that that money, right? Because families deserve and need to know. But, you know, some institutions have developed their own mini FAFSA. Some are using net price. A lot are using the, the CSS profile because families can't wait to make those decisions. The way I was tipped off to this is I do a lot of sports reporting, sports interviews and stuff like that. So I follow a lot of college coaches on Twitter or X or whatever it is this week. And you should see these are people whose hair is on fire right now trying to recruit classes for the fall or whatever in their respect. And you can just feel the frustration and the feeling of helplessness a lot of them have because they want to tell parents, hey, here's what we're dealing with. And I'm not talking scholarships. This is more for you know, uh, places that give financial aid in lieu of scholarships at maybe some of your lower levels. Like, this is having an effect. I know this is just one slice of the pie, but you can see in real time the effect this is having on people trying to put teams together. Well, and, and what I would say is, you know, while the coach's hair is on fire, if you talk to any enrollment person, I mean, ours was burn off in January. We, we don't even have anything left to burn at this point because we've been under the same pressure. But colleges, when they're recruiting students and, and given the NCAA regs, so it's very different at D1, D2, D3. D3, they tend to not give athletic scholarships. So they're giving more academic scholarships and a lot of need-based aid. So they absolutely need this information so they can shape those packages for students. D2 is a little more of a mix. But even at the D1 level, it is very important for coaches to know when they've got limited scholarship dollars, they have so much space for counters, non-counters on their roster, given the NCAA regs, they need to know if they're going to be able to access their institutional's need-based dollars to help offset what they don't have an athletic scholarship to spend. You know, not everyone is, is an ACC basketball team, right? So a lot of those smaller D1 schools are also reliant on shaping the entire financial package for a student. And many athletes are, you know, are Pell eligible. Many athletes are, you know, lower income. And so they can benefit from this. It also helps when we're looking to know what other kind of support students may need. Because if a student is Pell eligible, then we look at a package, you know, are they an independent student? Do they have money to travel back and forth home? I mean, there's so many things that go into this. It, it really is, you know, tying the hands of any recruitment staff in what they can actually convey and offer. And athletes, you know, have a particular amount of skepticism toward coaches when they're being recruited because they want to make sure what they are promised is actually what is delivered because they're comparing those aid and scholarship offers across the board. And so when you have certain schools saying, I'm sorry, we can't guarantee this award or we don't know for sure what it's going to be. It's absolutely detrimental to the athletic recruitment. It's detrimental to all recruitment in higher ed. You talked about how different institutions are kind of doing it on the fly in their own way, some creating their own FAFSA, some using other tools. Given this, even if in a couple weeks 
they come to the table and say, okay, here it is. It works. Everything's great. It's even better. It's everything we promised. And it is, is there like going to be a fundamental seat change here that a lot of places started doing it this new way, whatever this new way is. And they just kind of, yeah, great. But we kind of started with this, this is working and we're going to go with it with this. Or do you think when the new FAFSA is up running and doing what it's supposed to be, it'll kind of, everybody will circle back around and, okay, this is much easier. This is how we'll go. So everybody has to circle back around and that's the thing. So if Drexel tells a student that they're eligible for a $5,000 Pell Grant, the student still has to do the FAFSA in order for that money to flow from the federal government. So this is the gatekeeper for the federal government for all of those sub and unsub student loans for the supplemental educational grant and for the Pell Grant. The FAFSA is also for all grad students, right? So graduate students are eligible for subsidized student loans. You have to fill out the FAFSA in order to be able to get that. So we will continue to have to have students complete the FAFSA. What's happening this year is we're just not waiting to hear what the FAFSA says those students are eligible for. We're taking, you know, we're taking a gamble. It's kind of like a fourth and one where we have to take a gamble and make sure we're doing what's in the best interest of the students and their families. But in order for students to get that money from the feds, they still have to complete that paperwork. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.